step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the height Hello and welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig and this is episode 35 I always expect an applause after that, but it never comes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I'm very delighted to have as my guest today, Robert Powell. Robert, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank First you. First, I love your name. What, what's this Powell thing? Where does that come from? It's actually uh, it's way back when in Hungary, it was Polinsky. It was Polinsky. Yeah, and it wasn't that cool to have a Jewish name then. So yeah. some yeah. part of my ancestors had changed it. So were you born in Hungary? No, I was born in Canada. You were born, your parents are Hungarian? No, my father came over when he was six, yeah. and my mother was born here. Oh, okay. Her background okay. from Poland. It's a great name, pal. Simple. Oh, it's very simple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did people did people like have plays on your name Constantly. when you were a kid? Like what? What would they You're play? You're no pal of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so this goes into the childhood bullying issue. Okay. <laughs> people picking on you. But, but at the end, were there positive things that came out of the name pal? Because uh, I think it's a great name. I mean... It's easy to write. It's one, quick. One syllable. Yeah. And when we used to speak to operators on the phone, which we don't anymore, can you imagine, hi, this is Avram Rosenzweig. Yeah, they botch it, Avram Rosenweig. I mean, exactly. And if I was more vain, it would fit on a license plate. Oh, you know, yes, that's right. Yeah. But you're not vain. Not at this point in my life. So <laughs> who is Robert Powell? Robert Powell, this is fascinating, really. Robert Powell is a coach, uh, an ADHD coach. Would that be accurate? Sure. An ADHD, I, I like to sometimes refer to my show as being ADHD. <laughs> so there's a natural fit for you here today. <laughs> You've listened to a couple of episodes, yes. right? Yeah. Did you sense any ADHD in there? No, I, I sensed uh, an openness, a certain social aspect that I find with many of my clients and a curiosity. Of life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you use the word curiosity because when you listen to the great interviewers of the world about interviewing one of the things that comes up if not number one perhaps two or three is curiosity mm -hmm. curiosity it's one of our 24 strengths yeah oh, we have 24 strengths have 24 strengths do you know them all uh yes and i can give you a strength survey after if you like oh can you really yeah absolutely. all right good good yeah. i'll give you a pitch on the show okay <laughs> <laughs> so robert powell here here in a nutshell is how he helps his clients he says, I help my clients through various challenges and transitions in their personal and professional lives. Most have experienced various levels of success in their lives. So, so you work with people who have been successful. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. My clients are generally all very high functioning. Okay. Okay. But currently, uh, they, could ha they could be having difficulty accomplishing certain things due to executive functioning challenges such as organization, planning, focus, and time management, which is probably a huge thing for most people, isn't it? That have ADHD or people in general? I don't know. I think people in general. Are most people organized? Uh, quite a few. Are they? Quite a few. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm projecting here, aren't I? Possibly. Yes. <laughs> so you might I, actually fit into this category. I think I'm projecting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, feeling overwhelmed, anxious, unmotivated, or depressed, and unable to balance conflicting demands and priorities. I mean, we'll talk more about this stuff later, but do you ever come across 
a really serious CEO, and unbeknownst to most people, he or she is very depressed. Oh, it's quite common. It's it is actually common? even more common than depression for me is anxiety. Is it? Yeah, it's quite common. And that feeling of being overwhelmed. Yeah. How do people handle so much stuff? This is what I don't get. But the president of the United States, an extreme example, how does he wake up in the morning? We stay away from Trump. Uh, I'd rather See, talk. I, I didn't even say Trump, Robert. You said Trump. Well, he was, is the president of the United States. Yeah. Uh, so the question was, how do we function? I mean, don't you think about this? The guy who runs Timex, the guy who runs um, the CEO of uh, any great corporation. How do they do it, man? Well, the successful way to do it is proper organization and delegation, but generally to not only the CEOs, but all of us. There's so much going on in our life yeah. that it does get overwhelming and difficult to, to balance. So some of us, what we do is we just, we deaden ourselves. Is that what it is? And we go around through life as robots without really connecting to what's happening. Because otherwise it's too overwhelming. It's too, it can be too much. Oh, man. Yeah. Is that what we do? Yeah. Many huh. of us. Yeah. That's very sad. Yeah, but there are solutions. So your life is, your work is happy then? Uh, absolutely. The goal is, uh, yeah, we under, our society underrates happiness. I know growing up, I was taught that you work hard, you're successful, yeah, yeah. you're going to be happy. Yeah. Uh, the research is the opposite. You know, people who are happier, statistically it shows have better careers, they have better relationships, they're healthier, they make more money. That so, interesting. Yeah, happiness is really important. I can share, if we have time, a great uh, practice I share with my clients on increasing their level of happiness. You want to hear something interesting? The Torah. You're Jewish, right? Yes, sir. In fact, you've been made fun of for being Jewish. As a child, well, yes. Welcome aboard. Yeah. <laughs> welcome aboard. Um, the Torah says there's a mitzvah, there's a commandment to be happy. Hmm. Why would you think that is? Why would God come along and say, hey, you know what? You people out there, you have to remember, it's a mitzvah, it's a commandment, it's an imperative to be happy. On a practical level, uh, we're going to have better relationships and you're going to be more productive. You know, but why would you, have to, be, why would to, you have to be reminded of being happy? Because it's minimized uh, in, as a society. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's what I would say too. Yeah. Because we forget. Yeah. Right. We forget. Right. And life can be very, very, very demanding as it has been for you in many ways. Right. Yes. And it takes a concerted effort to be happy. Yeah. It doesn't happen naturally for all of us. You have to work on your happiness. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, we'll talk about this stuff later, but there was an audit that went on in your life and you were basically fucked. I mean, yeah. I, totally. there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. I could read your story 57 different ways. In the end, Revenue Canada just came at you. I don't know why. You don't know why. But the long and short of it at this point is my real point is there was a beautiful, beautiful moment in the story that you wrote about the audit. It was called The Audit, where it was that day. It was like the worst day in this entire episode. And you said, you know what? I'm going to take out my daughters, right? Twins. Yep. And you put them in your car. I think it was your Lexus, mm -hmm. was it? And you said, where do you guys want to go? And they said the CN Tower. And there was just this burst of love that you had for your two girls in probably the worst time in your life, right? I thought that was beautiful. I really did. Yeah, in many ways, uh, it could have saved me. That's, we can get into more of the story after, but uh, that day was when finally the, the four-year fight was over. They came in quite happily with a multimillion-dollar uh, 
tax bill, tax bill that I had to pay. And yeah, it's, uh, I immediately <laughs> let threw everything off my desk, my office, uh, went into my car and hit the 404 and I just gunned it. You know, the car and I were one, we we're going up to 150 heading north and wasn't conscious of anything until I had a memory of my girl's birthday party. Like a flashback. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think it was their fourth birthday. And I just said, there's no fucking way. Yeah. All right. There's more important things. So he said, I turned around and I drove and I picked them up. And at that point I lived off Avenue road and they're very excited. And I said, where do you want to go? We were driving south. How old were they at that time? Uh, four. At four years yeah. old. They're cuties. Eh? They are gorgeous. Yeah. And they still are. Well, Beautiful girls. At 23 years old. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And they saw the CN Tower, right? It's a beautiful view from Avenue, and that's where they wanted to go. And, yeah, so we went there. And at one point, there's a play area where there's a CN Tower, and they were, like, climbing. And I have that picture. And then they looked at me. And I think at that point, I even had a few tears in my eyes what was going on. And they just come, came over, and they both hugged me so tight. Oh, man. And I said... This is what it's about. There's more to life than a business that was unfortunately about to go bankrupt. I know. I was just telling somebody in that light, when I hear my son, he's 13, when I hear him, hear him call me daddy, it's like there's no better word in the in the entire English lexicon or any, any yeah. dictionary. It's just that love you get from your child, which is therapeutic. It's healing, mm -hmm. which it was in your case, right? Yeah. And brings us back to, you know, more of our purpose in life. Yeah, it really does. It really does. I'll tell you a story. My father uh, was a rabbi in Kitchener, and he could not make ends meet because he had sent all five of us to Toronto to go to private Jewish school. And that cost a fortune, right? You probably send your kids to public school? Yes, they went to public. Yeah, they went. Yeah, okay. Did they have a good education? Uh, yeah, they all did in, uh, very well. Did one, they? one of my daughters is still in school. Uh, what, what does she study? Nicole studying urban planning. Okay. She's doing her master's at Ryerson. Oh, good stuff. And the other two? Uh, my son, Brandon, he's a senior level, uh, runs part of the cloud program at one of the major banks. And Danielle, which is twin sister to Nicole, she's an analyst at Canada Pension Board. Yeah, they so do. you have so a lot of nachas. Yeah, they're doing yeah. A lot, all, a lot they're of parental all, They're all superstars in their own right. Good for you, man. Yeah, good for you. you. So anyway, so my father had to make ends meet, and what he did was he started a mortgage company of his own, and he worked with a member of the synagogue. Um, to make a long story short, this member of the synagogue uh, screwed my dad. Mm. Uh, he screwed his own father. Uh, he defrauded a number of people in the synagogue itself. You know, I'm so tempted to say his name because he never got retribution for what he did. He went to jail for like an hour. Mm. You know those situations, right? The terrible injustices that happened in the world, as, as they did to you. So um, long and short of it, I remember when he came home that morning after hearing the news from the member himself, you know, he said, Rabbi, I'm terribly sorry to tell you that uh, I'm being charged with fraud, and he told them why. And my father came home, and he didn't let on as to how he was feeling. I remember he sat down at the table, he opened his Kitchener record, the newspaper, and my mother served him breakfast. And uh, years later, I thought about his response to a situation, and I, and I guess I considered that at that very moment, he was remembering what was important in his life.
mm. which is what you did when you took your two little ones to CN Tower. Yeah. I'm amazed that you had the wherewithal to to have that flashback. I guess it's not something you worked on, but yeah. it just came into your mind. In other words, you, I guess you were open to it. Yeah. Uh, there's some some power, some power in the universe. Yeah. What, what sort of power do you believe in? I believe that, and I think this might match up uh, with Kabbalah, is that there's a certain peace we all have within us. Yes. And all those pieces connect to universal power. Uh, some people call it God. Other people have other names for it. But, uh, yeah. So I believe that there is a stronger power, but that we are part of that power. Yeah, like would you go to synagogue on the high holidays? Uh, it's been a couple of years. Has it? Okay, yeah. Is that for so ideological? I, I feel... I feel uh, I definitely feel Jewish. I feel very connected to Israel, but uh, I'm not a fan. I never got much out of the rituals yeah, right, part of it. Right. But uh, a few years back, because uh, uh, my life partner, her son's saying bar mitzvah, we actually joined a new shul. And I always had gone to conservative. This was uh, Temple Emmanuel, right. which is one of my most positive experiences in shul, like a wonderful rabbi. Deborah. And yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... It made it a much more positive experience. But still, you know, I don't think I'll be in shield this holiday. Have you met her uh, triplets? No, but we spoke about it. I heard, yeah. She's, I remember when she had the triplets. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, and she also has scratch from Harvard. Yeah. Uh, These are super triplets. people. Yeah, she's an incredible, incredible woman. But but you're an MIT guy. I'm an MIT. Later on in life. Right, but it was part of an executive education program we can talk about. It's, uh, it wasn't traditional MIT. So you're a bright man. Yes, but not educated, and not educated via uh, scholastic institutions. Right, so I guess you would say that you have a high intellectual... Emo I have emotional intelligence. Emotional but, intelligence, uh, yeah. And street intelligence, I'd say. Okay. And good instinct. Okay, so the last thing about you being an ADHD coach, are you a coach with ADHD? Yeah, I have ADHD, absolutely. Is that for life, ADHD? Yes, it is. It um, is? For the most part, yes. And do you embrace it? Um, I appreciate the strengths that I get from it. That's my question. Yeah. Yeah. But I also respect the challenges because they are significant. They are significant. Yeah. I know they are. And I'm, I'm fortunate. There's a huge, uh, it's like 30 or 40% of the prison population has ADHD. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, three or four times the normal population. Uh, if you have ADHD, a chance you have depression, anxiety. Really? It's much worse. Higher uh, percentage of suicides. Huh. So it can, it can fuck up your life. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. All right. So about being an ADHD coach, um, most have experienced various levels of success in their lives. You're talking about your clients, but currently they could be feeling stuck and unsure of what's holding them back and experience relationship challenges. So that's it in a nutshell. I was really interested in number four um, because I'm thinking an ADHD coach would deal with relationship challenges. I deal with my clients where they are. Holistically. In their life, yeah. I don't do couple counseling, but uh, you can't function fully at work if things are fucked up elsewhere in your life. Right. It's you. You're the one that uh, we're working with. And I don't have the magic answers. You know, I view my job as really almost as a facilitator to help you figure it out, to really to co-create the situation, to co-create, sorry, co-create this, this solution. Yes. 
And yes, we can talk about how after mindfulness is a huge part of it. Yeah, mindfulness has really come into vogue. I remember I was running a nonprofit organization, and at some point we were approached by CEO of another organization asking if they could funnel money through us. That's not unusual in the nonprofit world, although the CRA is cutting back on that. And they were called Mindfulness Without Borders. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Mindfulness Without Borders. And they would travel to these areas, sometimes I think war zone areas, and they would deal with people on the ground, as they say, uh, in terms of putting them into the moment, putting them into a place where they could actually hear and see one another having to do with their enemies, right? It was really fascinating. Mm. So as I said before, I like to do a little bit of a monologue. Robert, it's not really a monologue. It's it's more of a dialogue. Um, but uh, it's it's ways and means of me getting stuff off my mind. This is an inspirational show. I like to think of it as that. Um, so I like to deal with some really, really deep and intense questions. And I'd love to, to really get your take on it. And perhaps you can listen to mine for a second. Again, this is episode 35 of Hat Radio. And I'm here with my dear friend, Robert Powell. <laughs> I say you're my dear friend because so far you are. an hour. (laughs) So far you haven't pissed me off, you know. It's still time. (laughs) So here's one point that I'd like to bring up about life, all right? Succinctly put, how do we or how do I take my son to play hockey this Sunday? And actually he has two baseball games on the weekend as well. When I know that the Taliban are killing children in Afghanistan. How, how, how do we do that, take ourselves, put ourselves in a mindset where everything is okay, right? Subconsciously knowing that so much of the world is suffering so badly. How do we do that? I, I believe strongly that each of us has the power to change our own universe. So where is that power? Is it something that you can do to save these people? either being killed or being starved. And if there is, when's the time that's appropriate to do that? Whatever volunteer work you might do, uh, money you might give to charity. But really making a difference in your life is going to be the time you spend with your son. And knowing that that's the focus and that's where you're bringing the most impact, I think could be helpful. Oh, that's interesting. So what you're saying, are you saying one should be conscious of the Taliban, like know that this is happening, but recognize that your battle against it is, let me put it in other terms, is by bringing goodness into the world? No, you were conscious of it. So this was something that was taking you out of the present moment. Our problem in life is we spend most of our time thinking thoughts that are not productive, right. not helpful. They take us out of being, being present. So this worry about the Taliban was stopping you from being present with your son. So your job, and if you were my client, would be to train you on how to be present with where you're at in the moment. When, when should I worry about the Taliban? Do you care about the Taliban? Is this an I issue care about injustice. You care about injustice? Okay. So there should be time for that. And possibly it could be structuring that you should be looking at, let's spend an, uh, an hour a day, a couple hours a week, yes. where you look at some causes, look at how you can help people. And then possibly... You have notes that if you think of something before you go with your son, you just put a note, get it out of your head, and you know when you have the time to schedule, you'll do that. It's very interesting what you're saying. I like what you're saying. But in that light, do you, do you 
ever think to yourself how incredibly lucky you are, regardless of or despite the fact that you went through some serious shit in life, to be born here, that we're sitting here in 2019 in my condo, very safe. If you're hungry, I'll make you a meal. You have blueberries and nuts here, yeah. so it's great. Th those are for you, Robert. Thank you. Special. Yeah. Remember our mother used to say, that's special. You eat it. Come on, have one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, so like, do, do you feel that? Do you, do you have that sense how lucky we are? I don't like the word luck because yeah. that takes away, I find that very uh, not empowering, but I'm incredibly grateful. You are grateful. Absolutely. How, how does that play out? How does that play out? I think it plays out of just how I live my life yeah. and appreciation, how I, how I treat people, how I look at situations and how I look at negative stuff that happens too. Now, how do you? It's, it's part of life. Uh, every curveball I've, I've been, I've been thrown, I've been able to manage it. And that in itself is something I'm incredibly grateful for. That you have those tools. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, no, I, I, I hear that. I, I'm also really grateful. Like, lately I've started to cook more because I've had some uh, health challenges. Um, I think they're under control. And one of the ways I got them under control was by creating my own dishes and doing so with basically no carbs and no sugar. And Robert, sometimes when I eat the food that I create because they're robust with flavor. You know, we grew yeah. up on salt, pepper, and maybe paprika. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and bold being the prominent cooking style. Exactly, exactly yeah. right. So I, I eat my foods, and they're just, just, just shouting out with flavor and herbs and spices. And sometimes I look up at the heavens, and I just go, thank you so much for this food, for this moment. I don't ask God for things. I never do. Um, but I am thankful. And, and yeah. I direct it outwardly that way. Gratitude is a very powerful emotion because it is outward as well. It's an, it's an appreciation of something else. And it's something I work with on clients a lot because the more grateful you are, it tends to end up making life more positive experience. Do you want a quick, uh, not quick it is, but I can share one of their great practices. Yeah, please. On that. please. It's called the gratitude visit. What you want to do is you want to think about someone in your life that's had an impact, that's helped you but that he hasn't, he or she has not been really fully recognized. They might not get it. So in my case, uh, that person was my cousin. I was uh, 17, 18 years old in high school, barely getting through. Uh, at that point, in the 70s, I could have got into university, but nothing appealed to me. Yes. Oh, he you had, mean like no subject, no topic? Right, no particular university or no particular uh, focus. And he had, while still in school, he set me up in the flea market and I was selling jewelry. And somehow everything came together. Yeah. You know, merchandising the products, getting the staff. And besides making a lot of money at the time, it put me on, my, on the path to really create one, I think, the most successful fashion accessories companies in the country. And it would not have happened without him. And my relationship with him had issues because as I grew, for him, it was a small, it wasn't huge. So he was not able to fill my needs yes. and he wasn't prepared to inventory the products. So I had to end up going to his source and buying direct, which caused somewhat of a sever in the relationship. A little bit of a rift. Yeah. So, you know, 20 years later, I got this great life and I realized it wouldn't have happened in this way without him. So 
what you do is um, for this exercise is you write a letter to the person saying what they did and telling you the impact it's had on you. And then, if possible, you call the person and you arrange to meet for coffee or dinner. So I did that with my cousin, cousin Ron, Ronnie, and he's not an emotional guy, but he was he was in tears. He said he was. no one's ever really shown him like that level of uh, appreciation. And it was impactful on me. It's the research shows that the effect on the person who does it lasts six months. It just increases your gratitude for everything in life. That's fascinating. So for your listeners, give it some thought. Who is that person? For you. Yeah. Who in your life has had an impact that hasn't really been recognized? Had you not seen him for those 20 years? Rarely. Okay. Yeah, maybe the odd family. Do you see him now? I haven't seen him for probably about five, six years. But that moment yeah. was was a uh, an important one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and for me, even more so than him. That's great. That's yeah. a great story. My, my mom used to tell us, God bless her soul. Are your parents still with us? No, they're not. They're, they're both gone? They both when when did they die? Uh, my mother died probably about 10 years ago. My dad close to 20, I would think. Yeah. Do you see yourself as an orphan? I use the term, but I don't feel it. Yeah, okay. You know? Okay. Uh, yeah. You ever like really, really miss your parents? There are times when I'm uh, very aware of the of the loss. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I've been missing my mom a lot. Yeah. I just want to see her. You know, mm -hmm. I just want to see her. Imagine if there was something in life where you could have a wish, and that wish was you could see someone whom you've lost for like an hour. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually uh, it's another story that I, I did. Go ahead. Tell me stories. No, it's a long. I didn't send you. It's about my sister. Uh, my sister had multiple sclerosis. And she unfortunately, uh, she passed away from it. Yeah, I'm sorry the to story, hear that. Thank you. The story I wrote was just, you know, five more minutes. That's all I want. It's just five more minutes with her. What was her Same. name? Elaine. What, what was she like? Um, we were incredible, as incredibly close uh, growing up. She was, I think, the one person that, that really saw me. Uh, and, yeah. It was, a, it was from finding out she had the disease to the whole process. It was very, it's very difficult. And and I'm sorry, how many years ago was that? Was she, uh, probably about 30 years now. Could be. It's quite some. So it's been a while then. Yeah. Yeah. It must be awful to lose a sibling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But in many ways, uh, when the disease happened, you know, a lot was lost then. Yes, I imagine so. Yeah. I know people have who have had MS. Mm -hmm. I was going to tell you about my mom. One of the things that my mom did so beautifully, her name was Gietel. Gietel Frimit. Okay. Gietel so Frimit. She would have the same problem on <laughs> She did. Oh, yeah. she did. Yeah. Anyway, uh, although Gietel, I mean, it means light. Mm -hmm. And she was a woman with great light. She used to tell us and she used to show us that if you would read an article in a newspaper and you really appreciated the article, you liked the article, you, the, the, the essence of it resonated with you, call the writer or nowadays text or email the author of that piece. And she would do that regularly, just tell people how great their article was, you know? And I thought that was terrific. I, I think mean, it is too. Isn't it? Yeah, and I think whenever I'm 
in a restaurant or any place with any service when there's something exceptional? I point it out to the person. Do you? Yeah. And uh, more times than not, it's surprise and a level of uh, appreciation. Feels good. Yeah, it does feel good. And I, I think, I hope, it does something for the person who's hearing it. Like, I, I saw someone the other day who was cleaning windows. And I thought, my God, that must be a really challenging job. It must be very difficult in terms of the logistics itself because I know reaching up and trying to always get that little screech out of the window, that's not easy, right? Um, but that also the, the thing I think which might even be more difficult is you watch people walking by while you're cleaning a windows. And I think in our society, there's something a little bit demeaning about that job. Okay. A little bit. So the person's probably always, you know, sort of, sort of on guard. So I went over to the guy and I looked at his windows and they were really nicely done. Um, and I said, you know, man, your windows are so clean. I feel like I could, I might just walk through them, right? Mm. And he was very, very happy about that. That's great. Yeah. And for myself too, I'd say this is my first interview. Yeah. So, so initially, it's a high level of nervousness and you made me feel quite comfortable. Yeah, thanks I might a lot. feel different in an hour, but so yeah. far, no, thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you for saying that. I, I mean, one of the things that I try to do here is that, like in our pre-interview, I said to you, the, the goal here is to create a very safe environment. You know, one where you feel comfortable talking about who you are. And if you're not comfortable about it, then feel safe not comf not talking about it. That's the goal. And mm -hmm. um, so far, so good. Great. Yeah, yeah, so far, so good. All right, another piece that I wanted to talk about is uh, I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You and I, you and I are fifty nine years old, and your your birthday is March twenty second. Second, March second. Right. Mine is April twenty seventh. So you're a month and a bit older than me. Mm -hmm. Growing up, growing up in my family, I would have to respect you as an elder, just for that. Yeah, you're my yeah, elder. Month? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was the youngest of five, and I was constantly told that I had to respect my older sisters. What, what sort of respect do you have in your family? What what, what did you teach your kids? about respecting one another and respecting people. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, it's respecting life, not just people. Uh, and of course the old, I know it's a Christian Jewish thing, but do unto others as you're having to do unto you. Yeah, so did that actually play out with your children? Does it still? It's to me, it, it was just a, a way of life. So it's something that I would model. And uh, I picked it up. How did you raise your kids? Like, how did you talk to them when they were little? When they were little, it was trying to, it was relating to them on their level. It'd be getting down on the door, on the floor, playing with them. Oh, you would do that? Yeah. Uh, as they became older, the teenage years, you know, the big challenge was not to be a hypocrite. Yeah, so, that, that is actually, yeah. yeah. So in my mind, it was to... Remember what it was like when I was 17 and 18. And, right. and I try to follow that, that guideline with them. Would they say you're a good parent? Yeah, I would definitely think so. Like Father's Day is a big deal? It's, uh, the relationship's a big deal. Is, yeah, good answer. Yeah. Good answer. And it's interesting because you have a 35-year-old son. Right. And then you have two 23-year-old twins, right? Right. Just right. turned birthday last week. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Happy yeah. birthday. Yeah. And your your partner of 10 years, is that correct? Yes, uh, Anne. So the discrepancy with the kids is different mothers. Yeah, different moms, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. How's Anne doing? Anne's doing well. Yeah? yeah. Why, why did you uh, choose her? Uh, 
Like I say, she chose me. Why did she online. choose you? Uh, was it online? She was actually told not to choose me. She oh. actually did what didn't choose me. <laughs> I think it was her first foray into looking on online dating. And You're a handsome guy, by the way. Thank you. Like, your picture shows well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm not traditionally, I'm not universally educated. Uh, and came from family where education is very, very, very important. And so she just bypassed me. And one of her friends at the time just said, did you read? And you read what this guy said. Yeah. It's uh, it's where you're at. And typically, a lot of the profiles you would look at, it's all about what you have, what you do. What you own, yeah. Yeah, mine was more about where I'm at, my transition, my uh, sort of perspective on life. So I think she that's how she reached out. What was the first date like, do you remember? Uh, yeah, we went to live. Uh, so I think on, on DuPont. And... At one point, she's a therapist also, so she was even. T she just came back from a couple program course, and she was telling me how she could get me and my ex back together. <laughs> so at that point, you. I go, "Thank you, but that's not really." You what know, dates it's about. do that in the beginning sometimes. Do you know why? You think it's a test? I do. Yeah. Yes, what did I do. From hers, I think she just got excited about it. Yeah. But uh, like I've had that where a woman uh, that that I'm about to see, you know, first dates, like they'll go like, "Oh, you know." You guys look really good. I saw you in a picture. You guys look really good together. Yeah, it's done. It's finished. Leave it alone, you know? But I think it's a test. Yeah. Yes. But then when we end up saying goodbye, uh, and I'm very friendly. I went, I went to give her a kiss goodbye. I think On the cheek. Little, well, that's what she not. expected. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I went for the lips, and yeah. somehow magic happened. We both felt it. Did it. And yeah, for... Like this, very early, there was clarity that she's the one. So how long did you date for? We dated uh, until we moved in together for about a year and a half, which unfortunately didn't work out. Well, it's uh, for two people who you would think would know better, just the integrations of, of two families with kids was just something that wasn't managed well and wasn't, wasn't doing, was negatively affecting everybody. So we took a break for... Uh, about, about a year maybe and then we got back together and it's probably about five six years ago yeah how's it going it's going well so we're, you, you, we're constantly learning and growing are you yeah and you're good with intimacy yes like you allow your love to grow yes and how does that feel i ask in part because i'm not terribly great with it it feels abundant that's a great, almost like great the line. Yeah. more there is the more that you're able to give the more that you can feel that there is. Did you ever think you could love so much? Yeah, it's uh, like it's very different. But I have incredible love uh, for my children. Right. So. And did uh, your parents love you a ton so much so that you knew that? I knew it, but it wasn't in the same uh, the same way. I'm much more physical. Like my love for my kids, be, you know, be hugging them. And, Affection. And kissing them, yeah. So I didn't get that from, from my parents, but there was never any question that uh, I was loved. You know the five languages of love? You're familiar with that? Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? Are you good with it? Yeah, I think it may, it, some of us, uh, it's not like there's one in particular for one person. Some right, of us right. spread, but yeah. Well, I mean, the way it works, we should tell our listeners, actually. See, mm -hmm. I said our listeners. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Nice. There's five different languages of love, according to this fellow who wrote this book called Five Languages of Love. Do you remember his name? 
No. Okay. And 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 one of them is affection, mm-hmm. and that basically means that you're the type of person um, who gives out love through affection, and or you may be the type of person who accepts love through affection. And it's not necessarily the same. Oh, is that um, right? Yeah. I didn't know so, that. Yeah. So you might feel it's how you feel love. So physical intimacy is one. So you might feel love when you're receiving, you know, physical contact from your partner. But your your other language of love might be appreciation. So you might give appreciation in how you do it. It's not necessarily what you receive is what you give. Oh, okay, I got it. Another uh, way of giving or accepting love is service. Mm-hmm. So that was big in my family, service. And I think I do that. I like serving other people. I would think that's part of that generation too. Oh yeah, how that's an show, interesting how they point. Show, how they showed, yeah, they did everything they're supposed to do for the kids. Yeah, functionally, hard to right? Build the house, yeah. And a third one is it's it's a bit like service, but I think it's gift giving. Mm-hmm. Gift giving. Are you a gift giver? I have a lot of trouble with gifts. Oh, do you? Why? Like giving or taking? Figuring out the right gift. Okay. <laughs> so I'm actually I'm actually, I'm actually looking at that. It's very frustrating. Uh, how much these people that I love and I know so well, you know, my children and then, and yet it's a major stress event on what to get. Why don't you look at their passion and find a product that works with that passion? Yeah. Yeah. What I try to do now is uh, I try to make notes uh, <laughs> throughout the year <laughs> yeah. of things they say that they, they like. Uh, so give me I an think, example. What was the last gift you bought? Oh, for the, uh, for the girls and the birthday now? Uh, I bought them tickets to an upcoming Raptor game. Okay, was that hard to figure out? I had uh, Danielle help me, right, and what Nicole would like, right? And then Rose had to get two tickets, and <laughs> I went, how would you like to go with her? So this was uh, uh, an easier one. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, I know we're diverging a little bit, but it's appropriate for an ADHD show. Um, my anxiety, you talk about the anxiety of buying gifts, and I, I, I empathize not in the gift buying gifts i'm really good at that and basically what i do is i'll i actually hoard gifts because i'll see something that i think is incredible and i'll buy it and i'll go at some point i'm going to match the person up with this gift perfect yeah yeah but my anxiety comes from another place my anxiety is that i'm not planful okay so when i am with my son we have a schedule um i hang out you know i also have agoraphobia and it used to be really bad where I could barely get to Mississauga mm. from central Toronto. Uh, but over the years, I start to fly to Israel and Argentina. But still, if I have to go far away, it takes a lot out of me. Mm. So and naturally, not naturally, but what I've developed is I like to stay home. And then and the outcome of that is that I'm not highly planful. Right. And so Noah, my son, will say, oh, so what are we doing today? I go hanging out. Mm. But it causes me so much stress, Robert. Because you don't know specifically what you're going to do. Like I'm thinking, Daddy, tell me what we're going to be doing because we should be doing something. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, we are doing something. We're here. So what do you like to do with him? So he's very much into sports, especially hockey. So mm-hmm. we do a lot of hockey stuff. He's in select this year. You know, we're preparing for that. He went to hockey camp this summer. We'll go online. We're doing a draft this Saturday. So we did a mock draft the other day. Uh, there's a lot of that stuff. Um, like I'll read him Wayne Gretzky's book when he's in bed at night. Uh, during the course of the day, sometimes we'll play video games. Like we'll play NHL and he kills me on it. You know, stuff like that. Okay. And going out. Uh... Yeah, right. We don't, we don't go out that much. Okay, what do you enjoy doing with them when you go out? 
Yeah, uh, hanging out at like I love walking through supermarkets and just talking to people. <laughs> yeah, does he do that with you? <laughs> yeah, uh, he's pretty good at. It. He goes, yeah, uh, he's good at it. Yeah, how old is he? He's thirteen. Thirteen, yeah. yeah he's a pretty intuitive yeah. kid. So I'm wondering if you talked about how you collect gifts throughout the year for people. Yeah, maybe you could also have a have a place for ideas of things you can do. So can you them. give me some ideas where to go? Hockey Hall of Fame. So we've done that. Okay, you've done that. We've done that. To me, nature uh, is a gift. That yeah. we, and we have so much of it that's available close, is planning trips with them uh, to whatever it's to High Park. Or I don't know if, if you drive, but just out in, outside yeah. Hamilton, there's some beautiful waterfalls. Yes. Um, to give them that appreciation. Do kids at 13 like nature? I think I think your son very much. If he enjoys doing shopping mall, walking in the grocery store shopping mall with yeah. you, I think walking in a nice on a nice trail with his dad. Yeah. Are, are you a nature fellow? Uh, I love being. In, I feel the most connected when I'm in nature and when I'm near water. What would be like a a place of nature that you... I had for many years a, a cottage and being on my dock was the ultimate. Is that right? Eh? Yeah. Would you just sit on the dock? Just sit on the dock. You had one of those um, Muskoka chairs. Muskoka chairs. Yeah. 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 And I find interesting with nature people with ADHD. It's a strong connection in that. Is that a strong grounding? Do you know why? I think a lot of the background noise that we hear in life. Uh, buildings planes is not there so it's 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 quieter less distractions and there's some natural energy i think that comes from the from the trees you know from the water that's picked up i want to get back to this age thing that we were going to talk about so you and i are 59 yes. and we really are on the precipice or on a step leading up to, an, in my mind, an extraordinarily important age. When we went from 29 to 30, yes, that was important, but not that important. 39 to 40, maybe more so. 49 to 50 was significant. But 59 to 60, Robert, yeah. aren't you, or I don't want to put words in your mouth, I am starting to feel old. I don't say older, I say old. So to make it worse, we're actually in our 60th year. Yeah, I don't even want to go there, <laughs> okay. man, because I'm cherishing this 59 yeah. thing, you know? They always said it's just a number. It's never affected me. But this year it has. And because the next decade after is the 70s. So you question how many, how many healthy years are we going to have left? Yeah. So after I get over that, holy fuck, right? It's mostly gone. <laughs> it becomes a question. How do you want to spend the next decade? Like, if not now, when? So to me, it represents a time to really define my life on what I want it to look like. Do you know? I'm working on it. So you're talking about from 60 to 70? Yes. Yeah. And whatever happens after that. But yes. Yeah. So, so, so when you plan for that decade, are you actually planning events and things financing all of the above it will come i think the full vision of what it looks like has to come first and that's what's being worked on is it fun do you enjoy that yeah yeah very much you do uh, now's like again now's the time uh i coach i teach i help people create the lives they want so my turn can you coach yourself well uh, actually, yes. You can? Yeah. Is that an anomaly yeah, or is that standard? I think it's an anomaly. Is it? Yeah. Why don't we coach ourselves well, generally? Uh, we just, because we, 
either we listen to our bullshit excuses yeah. or more likely we just beat ourselves up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, uh, that's another one of the, uh, the common and very damaging conditions we have. We're very hard on ourselves. Are we? Yeah. It's if, you know, if you were hammering, I have a picture of this in my office. If you were hammering a nail in a board and you slip and you bang your finger, yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to stop. Yes. All right. If you start telling yourself what an asshole you are and how yeah. you fucked up and how you're going to do it again and you've done it all, all your whole life, you're not going to stop. You're going to get caught up and go on and on and on. And it causes more damage. Now, what do they mean when they say you have to love yourself? Do you know what that means? I think the whole thing is you got to love yourself before you can love anybody else, uh, which I'm not quite sure of that part. But we need to have uh, love and very much acceptance of who we are. Yeah. Otherwise, life is so much more difficult, and we see things through a lens of it's our fault. What are we doing wrong? So, uh, so what, you're, what you're saying then is, tell me if I got this correct, are you saying that loving yourself is accepting yourself? It's interesting. I never thought of them as the same thing. Not necessarily. It could be really two separate things. Yeah, but I think both, both important. Very often when I ask you a question, you close your eyes. <clears throat> Where do you go? Uh, <clears throat> I'm delayed because there's two answers. One is my inclination is to say because it helps me focus. But mm-hmm. in reality, uh, in my, some of my medical challenges, I got a new one in the new year, I started seeing double. So, oh. and... Unfortunately, I've not been able to be been helped by the medical profession. So it's sometimes I close my eyes now to stop a double vision so I'm able to focus more in on the thoughts. You're going to be okay. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. The, the first concern is is, is a cause by a, by a tumor. So I had the brain scan, so I have no tumor. Thank God. Uh, so we don't know we don't know what it is, but it's my belief is it's we all have weaknesses. Yes. It's not our weakness that destroy us. It's our relationship with the weakness. That's why some someone who gets divorced, their life's over. Other people, they start a new life. Yes. Someone else in a catastrophic catastrophic accident, and their life's over. Others join the Special Olympics. So it's really on how we relate to that weakness. So for me, this the double vision was a real challenge in how I relate to it, and I made a commitment. Uh, number halfway through this, this period of the year that I'm not going to let it take away from what I need to do. And it hasn't stopped me at work. And it hasn't one thing it, it, I was nervous of before was travel, but it's not stopping from traveling now. I'm starting to travel more. Do you have any idea how you got to that point where you spoke to yourself and said, I'm not going to let this slow me down? That always interests me because I'm constantly trying to get to that point. It's... On one level, it's the teaching I do with clients all the time and somehow realizing <laughs> that I'm not doing what I should be doing on the coaching part. But another big part of, for myself, my transformation has been mindfulness. That's really made the huge difference. Is being a, it's an awareness of what's going on internally. Yeah, can you put that in lay terms? 
And yeah. use, use your example of seeing double. Okay, so first, maybe just on a premise about mindfulness first and then relating that. Yeah. So I, ha I have a picture I show clients when I start because a big part of my work is I do mind, um, customized mindfulness training with clients. It's a picture of this woman taking her dog for a walk. And you see the thought bubble about the woman, yes. right? It's, she's got a picture of the car. She's got to do carpool the afternoon. It's uh, the picture with her husband, a problem. There's a hundred things going on she's thinking about. The dog's thought bubble is the trees and sun. The dog gets it. The mm -hmm. dog is present. She's not. And that's our problem in life. We think too much about the past, the present, sorry, the past and the future, and we're not present for what's actually happening mm -hmm. as opposed mm -hmm. to the dog. So, as I would relate to relate it to the with the eyes is, I'd be feeling frustration and anger, right? That I can't do this, and it would end up spiraling. How long? How long until I can see? The doctors are useless. No one's helping. No one can help me. And before I know it, I would work myself into such a state that. I'd be worse, yes, or that I wouldn't be able to do anything. Instead, if I'm able to slow down, be aware that these thoughts are going on, and they're not helpful, and then bring myself back. What's happening? Like, you know, what should I be doing now? And a lot of times, it's just a question of say, slowing down and taking a few breaths, and saying, "What's reality and story?" The story is the story is. My, my life is so difficult. Things are going to get worse. I'm a victim. No one can help me. Yes. The reality is I got a condition now where it's making it difficult to function in a traditional way. So how can I function better or what can I do? So it's being able to relate to what's happening as opposed to a story that we create in our mind. And would you say that this would apply to most instances and most people in life that they have the ability to make that choice or if somebody comes to you and they're a victim of the genocide in Rwanda they've lost all their family and they say to you Robert I hear what you're saying about being in the moment I can't be in the moment man all I'm doing is thinking about my family that's it yeah it's it's hard it's hard not to yeah uh, it's been incredible trauma that people suffer and there's great therapists that specialize in trauma. Uh, so my partner, Anne, is one of them. That is, that's where I would send this client to for help because okay. that's okay. beyond. So my work would be more on the everyday shit we deal with in life. You know, a lot of it. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. But the Rwanda, yes, is. You know, let, but let's, it's not easy. It's not an easy process to it, do this. So how long would you say the average client spends with you? Months, years. Uh, I have clients that I have worked with for a number of years, but say the average client I've worked, uh, you know, maybe for half a year, I'd say. You must be incredibly uh, proud of yourself that a client would stay with you for years. Yeah. it's. Uh, you must be so proud. Yeah. It feels, yeah. They trust you. Yeah. It's, and you're doing something for them. I mean, it's making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm ever down, I look at my test, down, I look at my testimonial page. Right, when clients wrote me about uh, the effect that things had. Yeah, you, you, you have some beautiful testimonials. You really do. People speak really, really highly of you. I'd like to read one here. 
I was really impressed. Yeah. I was so, so impressed. Our experience with Robert was life-changing. He did more than just teach. He shared with us what it means to survive and flourish through personal discovery and perseverance. It was once said that adversity only visits the strong, but remains with the weak. Well, Robert ain't weak. Robert teaches one how to get through adversity, through mindfulness and self-awareness. What makes Robert effective in a way that few can replicate is the simple fact that he is real. And those are in bold letters. Yeah. His life experiences are not imagined or scripted. They are real and unique as to Robert. Yet he is willing to share his very personal trials and tribulations in a way that make his teaching and message truly real and authentic. In short, he's the real deal, a mindful survivor, dad. Mm-hmm. No, I'm kidding about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alan J. Yakubian. Yeah, that was, uh, that's actually how to influence the 60 plan plus 60. So uh, there's an organization some members might be aware of. It's this YPO. I know YPO. And EO. So for your listeners aren't, it's a group of basically entrepreneurs and business owners. So there's chapters throughout the, throughout the world. And at one point in my past, when I was more in the business world, I was president of the Toronto chapter. Each chapter, hypothetically, let's say it has 100 members, they would have forums. Yes. And a forum would be 8 to 10 members. And what that is, it's really a group of people who are your personal board of directors. Some forums have been together for 10, 10, 20 years. And at each meeting, one person would share a challenge that they're going through and the benefit from the experience of everybody in the group. And when people talk about the organization, about the biggest benefit, it usually comes from form. So these groups, once a year, they would have a retreat. Yes. And many times they bring in an outside facilitator. So a few months back, I was called by uh, a group from uh, New Orleans. They were coming to Toronto. They, uh, they heard about me and they wanted me to facilitate. And it's been many years since I've done it. So I created a presentation. It was on blind spots, actually, on our internal blind spots, which relates so well to the work I do with mindfulness to help, really, to help bring light to the blind spots. So I did. I had the one day uh, work with the group, and it was incredible. I felt totally in the moment. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and in many ways, too, I felt like I was with my community, because this is where, when I was uh, 30 years old, and the first time I ever went to when I went to MIT for the group of the entrepreneurs, all of a sudden there are other crazy people that like. You know, spent their Saturday nights uh, getting ready for business. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, so that felt great to do. And then also by this, I get testimonies like this and how I impacted people. So I think it'd be kind of cool to really build this where, you know, hypothetically once a week I could be doing every, uh, one of these, these type of meetings because they occur all over the world. The YPO. So, uh... Yeah. So combining this facilitation with coaching is part is a big part of the vision on how I see myself going forward in the sixties to seventy. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I uh, I want to tell uh, our listeners that uh, you are giving away a course, mm-hmm. and and the course essentially is one that you developed, having to do with ADHD coaching. Correct. How to I guess how to coach yourself, right? Yeah, it's uh, I get a huge volume of. Uh, people writing me wanting help there's only so much time that is available and many people are not in a position to to afford it yes 
So what I did is I took some of the key elements that I would work with clients for the first five sessions, and I put that into a course. And it's actually a course where I'm coaching people through the different steps. And we do, it follows my philosophy in coaching where I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to fix your problems. Say, what do you want? What's important to you? And how are we going to get there? And along the way, there's going to be challenges, and we're going to meet those challenges when when they happen. Yes. So it's in service of, of the bigger picture. So we work through the course, we work towards a goal you decide on, and then we talk about how to deal with the different challenges that can come up. So I developed that. It's an online course. And when I first heard about you, yeah, I remember you called me. You said it's... Uh, what interested me about it? Was it an opportunity to, you know, it's like side of an opportunity possibly for business? And I said, no, it's not. It's, uh, you know, uh, I am very, unfortunately, I'm grateful. I'm very busy. But I felt bad because I saw your focus through your other organizations being very much about giving back. Yes. And yes, I'm in the helping profession, but I would like to do so much more. So I thought of the idea that I'd love to share that course with any of your listeners that could benefit from it. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. And to take it a step further, when I took a look at the course online, and you can find it at robertpal.com, pal is P-A-L, that's robertpal.com, what was uh, really generous of spirit of you was that online you're offering the course for $50. U.S. Yeah, you, well, yeah, okay, so I guess a little bit more, but when you go online nowadays and somebody says, and you know, you can have this course at a very affordable uh, price, you know damn well you're talking about $1,000, $2,000, or maybe $10,000, but, and you could have charged more for this because you're apparently, from what I can see, you're pretty successful. People trust you. Thank you. So selling it for 50 bucks was a bloody nice thing to do. Yeah. Um, Did you grapple with the price? Yes, yeah, because to me, it's, you know, look at what this would cost live, and, and the value is so much greater. But I remember what the purpose is. The purpose is really to help those that I couldn't help through my other, you know, through direct means. No, you're a good man. You're willing to give of yourself. Yeah. Not necessarily always at a cost. Like, I hear what you're saying. You caught, you, you, you charge a decent amount of money for what you do per hour. I think I saw 250 to 375 So that's a decent amount of money, yes. isn't it? That's kind of almost like a cheap lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and we probably agree most lawyers are cheap. Yeah. Not in that way, though. Um, but I think that's, uh, uh, there. there is a component to what you do, I think, it seems to me, which is very much coming from a caring place inside of you. Yeah, without question. Yeah. Without question. Yeah, I, I care about my clients. You know, um, I want them to do well. And I think one of my key strengths is my ability to see what other people don't see. So it played out, we talked later, but in different ways in business. But here, when I see a client, I see their strengths. I see their beauty. Yes. I see what they're capable, yeah. even if they can't in the moment. That's a nice thing to do. That's yeah. a nice thing to see. Yeah. When people come in, it's uh, a lot of times very negative because going through the problems, hopeless. And when they leave, with hope. Yeah, it's you special. Know, it feels really, feels good. See, I've always loved that about you. Yeah, thank you. I made an impact last hour now. Good. Robert, if people want to get this course for free, how do they go about doing it? So as you said, uh, go to my website. Yeah. And it's robertpal.com. Right. Yep. And on it, one of the tabs would be for uh, online course. And when you go there, you register. And then you'll be taken to a payment page. And there'll be the question asked if you have a coupon. And you click it. And you enter the code 9 
90219. That's 90219. And click apply. And then enroll now. And you're ready to, to start working towards your goal. That's great. Yeah. And I'll appreciate uh, listeners if they find a benefit in the course, they enjoy it. If they're to leave a review, that'd be appreciated. And I think that you're offering this until the end of September. Is that correct? correct? Yes. Yeah. And I said, it's completely no charge. Thank you very much for that. That's lovely. Thank you. Now, in uh, 1983, you founded a company which was called Lapore Inc. Mm -hmm. And uh, you built Canada's leading fashion jewelry company. So fashion jewelry would be not real jewelry. Is that correct? Like not diamonds? No. What do you call it? Cheap and cheerful. Cheap and cheerful. what we, would, what we would do is we would work with the clothing retailers yeah. for where clothing's popular. So let's say coming in this season, simplistically, blue is a very popular. So we'd design jewelry that would uh, be in the correct color blue for their clothes and whatever would be relevant as far as lengths based on you know where the neckline was. Did you like jewelry? Per se? No, necessarily. It doesn't. You see, I'm not, I'm not aware other than my Fitbit which has been essential. I'm not uh, not a jewelry person. For me, it's what I started with in the flea markets, and there was some some connection on a business. So it doesn't uh, matter what the product is when you're entrepreneurial. It could, it could. Uh, I'm not sure if I don't think I would do well in the company that made nuts and screws. The nice thing about jewelry is one of the challenges that keeps changing. Every year there were thousands of new items. Yes, and that's part of. ADHD is the more, a lot of times the more that's going on, the excitement, the better. I could tell my clients, I've never had a doctor's. If you're an MD, it could be very difficult and challenging. But if you're in a triage, doing emergency, yes, you're in heaven, right? Yeah, it's it, not it, interesting, it that's true. So yeah, so I love in the jewelry, I love how quick the changing aspect of it. Uh, it was stri- strictly women's jewelry? Yes. Okay, so would it be correct to say you have a strong feminine side? I'm in touch with my feminine side, yes. What does that mean? It's, in a sense, it's wrong. It's, it's, I'd like to say I feel that I'm more attuned with what's happening inside me on, a, on an emotional level yes. as opposed to a typical uh, ego-based thinking. But that's it's somewhat unfair, but it doesn't either rose male, female, but it sort of fit what we were talking Would about. Would you say I have a strong female side? I would say it's compatible with mine. Uh, okay. I'd say in both of us, in a sense, we probably have more of a bounce. Do you cry? I cried on the way here. Oh, how come? Uh, I figured I should review. I hadn't read the story in years, so I read it again in the cabin. Uh, yeah, it just brought me back to the hell I had for four years. Do you two cry easily? No, but I'd say appropriately. Yeah, right. I don't have any, any, any problem with it. Because when I cry... Usually it turns into a sob and it hurts. It hurts in what what way? My gut. Like it's a sob, like, Ugh, you know? Hmm. It hurts. It sounds, sounds like you want to expunge something. Yeah, it's like I'm blowing up. And when it's done, more often than not, I either feel better, I feel as though I've cleansed, or mm. I feel as though I haven't finished. What happened was I stopped crying when I was 13 years old. Right. My grandfather died. It was like two weeks before my bar mitzvah. Mm. And uh, I was sobbing, like crying out of control. And nobody else in my family cried. 
Nobody. Not my mother, who was my grandfather's daughter, or my sisters or my father. And I thought there was something wrong with me. I mean, obviously there was a and how do they react to your display? Of there was no consciousness of what was going on. <laughs> that was, mm -hmm. it was prevalent throughout our growing right. up years. And, uh, and I stopped crying after that. And I didn't cry for years and years later. Hmm. I've actually heard this from other guys throughout the years that they don't cry. So you describe that your reaction is either one of relief or one almost of still frustration. Yes. So you talked about a clenching. Is it possible that that clenching feeling is more associated with when you don't feel the relief? Um, yeah, I would say that's accurate. It's not that much different. Yes. Because what we, one of our biggest challenges, one of the most difficult points in mindfulness is acceptance. Why, how do we accept what we don't like? Yeah. Uh, well, the reality is, uh, would you resist, persist? So, and sometimes when we're starting to feel this emotion, we want to stop it because we're afraid it's going to kill us. So that's what I sense in your clenching. You're trying to stop it. So by stopping it, it's not flowing through. As opposed to those times you might not clench, it has an opportunity to flow through and you feel that relief. Can you cry with others? Like, can you cry with your partner? Simultaneously crying? I don't believe, yeah, uh, absolutely. Like it's a very yeah. private, intimate thing for me. I can honestly tell you, my son has probably seen me tear up. He's never seen me cry or certainly not sob. And I don't think anyone else has seen me sob either. The big secret, and I'll tell this all your male listeners out there, one of the biggest strengths that we could have is to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I have no problem. Uh, have you always been like that? No, uh, it's taken a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, it's taken a lot of work because my upbringing was you don't show emotions. You know, it's a weakness. Right, exactly. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. how we were raised. Yeah. But we had the Flintstones. We had Gilligan's Island. And that was a plus. <laughs> okay. Yes, it was. <laughs> so Robert Powell is my guest today on episode 35 of Hat Radio. Uh, he was the founder and president of Lapore Inc. It was a leading fashion jewelry company in Canada reaching out into the states actually some of his clients were sears fairweathers laura zellers walmart and london drugs so you can see from this that he was doing a hell of a job and you were working arduously it's quite obvious and then it was one day you get a call uh from revenue canada that they're going to come by and essentially uh go through your books right which itself there's nothing wrong with i had I that too it's scary the first time well my father was uh, my father and my brother are both uh, uh father was or both were but uh, father along with us, but they're CS, chartered accountants. So I was brought up with the story of my dad is he has clients that will have a main, the main focus is how not to pay tax. <laughs> right. Other clients whose main focus is making money and they're not concerned about the tax. Right. And that's what my belief was. And the attitude I had when these guys came is, is great. You're doing your job. Have a look. Uh, I was in an industry that was known for a lot of fraud. You know, even from Quebec, over half the jewelry at that time was considered smuggled and taxes not paid. They so, would sell it for cash. Right. So I was happy. It sort of creates a level playing field. So when they first showed up, there was not, I didn't really have a problem with it. But uh, my staff started coming to me and said there were some strange questions being asked. And then finally, after two weeks, you know, I went and I goes, guys, you know, what's going on? And they go, well, on the basic, 
you know, uh, GST audit that came for, there's a thousand dollars, you know, discrepancy, which, you know, the volume we were doing, that was nothing and it was fine and be taken care of. But then so they, you're figuring you're okay. Yeah, totally. And I had no expectation of anything, anything different other than these, some of the vibes I was getting from my staff and stories I was hearing. But then they asked if I'm a manufacturer, if I'm manufacturing the jewelry. Yeah, right. Which is ridiculous. Like it's, there's no, no manuf machines. We designed the jewelry ourselves. We have it made in the Orient and we, we package it here. You were importers. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. And the relevance is at that time, there's something called the excise tax. Yes. That is only charged on the manufacturer, which is not the importer, which is kind of stupid, right? But that was the rule. And it's substantial, it's 10%. 10%. So they were saying, because we put it on a card, we were the manufacturer. And hence liable for, we should be charging 10% on all our products. And it's huge for the, for the business we were doing, the amount of potential penalties. And worse, I said, it's, I don't agree, but if you did, it's really an industry-wide thing. Everybody does it our way. But they refuse to look at anybody else. They said you were breaking bulk. Right. So things would come in, hypothetically, be 144 earrings in a package. So we'd break that package open to put it into individual cards. And that breaking bulk, breaking the package, is what makes us the manufacturer. I'm, I'm trying to understand that logically. Do you understand that logically? How do you become a maker of a product by separating it? By, because the maker designed it to be sold in their minds as a 100-piece package, 24-piece package, not as individual. But it's ridiculous. But the other part is, by putting on a card, we become the manufacturer. Which, again, makes no sense. It's such a okay. small part of it. Okay. So that began... Uh, a four-year fight where it got in, you know, I don't know how much we should be going into it, but it got to the point, at one point, they even uh, threatened me with jail. Yeah, I read for, that. Yeah. My God. Because they said, if you are, if you're knowingly the manufacturer and you knowingly don't apply for the license, right, that's where it becomes fraud and subject to, to jail time. So I have to get one. My lawyers were saying, if I get one, I'm acknowledged I'm a manufacturer. So that puts me in a worse position. I mean, I mean, let's position this. You are running a highly successful company. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, I'm employing many people. A lot. And your ideas are to, uh, again, to go into the States. You're meeting with customers. Um, you're leading a team of a, a management team, which is successful. And here these guys come along and they kind of stop all of that. You have to start dealing with lawyers. Yeah. I know what that's like. Yeah. Lawyers and accountants and very Your expensive Your full day ones. is taken up with that, right? Yeah. My, from rather than my focus being on working with my staff, helping them grow, helping my business grow, seeing clients, my focus was spent with, with uh, tax specialists and lawyers. Uh, it was terrible. It's, um, it's, it had serious effects on my mental health. Yeah, you uh, said it was difficult. It was difficult to get out of bed, right? Yeah, yeah. I, from being on top of the world, you know, I ended up going to depression, anxiety uh, attacks. It was, uh, yeah. It was why do you very think? That, why do you think Revenue Canada did this? I've been, you know, asking myself that over and over, but it seemed like this one particular auditor somehow. You know, like some something about it. He kept this like a bone, because I know other people. They didn't. 
they didn't want to carry it forward, didn't seem to be worth it, but he wouldn't drop it. And finally, it got, you know, after three years, when uh, I thought we were out of options, because my key was I didn't want them to do the audit, yes. right? The, that next level, the, the GST audit, because at that point, it's a liability on our books, which affects our bank loans um, and everything. Uh, so I connected with a, a great lobbyist who had great contacts in finance. At that point, Paul Martin was the Minister of Finance, and they made a presentation of our case to him. And he said it's the stupidest thing he's ever seen. Leaving aside the archaic nature, because the excise tax goes back to, to the war, all this would accomplish is two things. It would take jobs away from Canadians, because instead of having you know homework necker of 100 women that were putting these on cards, I can get the cards done, done in China, yes. and they lose the jobs. And plus, it would, you know, potentially bankrupt companies. And he goes, it's not in the business to do that. So he's promised to change the law in the next budget, which is quite extraordinary. They don't usually connect it, and there's going to be a retroactive part to do it. Do you think he promised to change it because of your case? Well, solely because of it. Yeah. And then his people, they investigated it further. But yeah, we brought it to his attention. Absolutely. Uh, that's something. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was impressive. So it looked like we won. And even then, the auditor gave us a hard time. He wanted, he wanted an official letter to that effect. And there's some regulation. They're not, they can't put potential budget changes in writing. And he, you know, my question to him is one is, he's like, you know, the Minister of Finance, like they knew that he said it, the word came down. And he, they go, he's not our minister. We're Department of Revenue. Yeah. So nevertheless, it was going to happen. And that couple of weeks before that day, I ever described before, uh, it was uh, September 11th. And as I say, more than the, the towers went down that day. Yeah, that's when it all changed. When the budget came up the next time, you know, I guess about a, three weeks or a month after that, there was, you know, Chrétien was never a big fan of, of Martin to begin with. And the idea was money had to go to, you know, to fight terrorism. There was also a, be a belief it's jewelry. We're giving, we're not going to give a tax break to the rich. It's going to be perceived as that, which is ridiculous. Right. Our average product was 10 retail. So there was no, they couldn't do it. Apologize, but he no longer put it through. So then within a week, you know, they showed up, uh, Revenue Canada with the, with the audit. And that was a $2 million uh, tax bill. Yeah. And, yeah, you, plus. You, and you declared bankruptcy. Yeah, the issue is uh, there was still, um, there's personal um, liabilities for uh, certain tax obligations, but not for excise tax. So the two, $3 million I'm not personally liable for. If I wanted to appeal, I had to do a personal guarantee of the whole amount. So I couldn't do that. That wasn't possible at the time so i wasn't able so at that point the fight was over and yeah i was forced to declare bankruptcy oh my god do you remember that day yeah it was the day when i was going 150 you know, oh Cologne. the day that you actually declared bankruptcy was that day okay no no that was the day that i knew it was over it was already in the planning that it happens is what we'd have to do wow yeah like as a it, was as, that, you know. yeah just to hear the story i'm having a tremendously hard time wrapping my head around this a guy walks in to do an audit 
to a perfectly healthy business and you were a very honest, you're a very honest fellow. So you went by the rules and some archaic law uh, that's been on the books since the war, as you said, was something that he tapped into and wouldn't let go of it. Right. And even questionable law, whatever it's applied in our case. Right. The excise tax, yes, is a law on certain things. It's in jewelry if it's over three dollars. Right, right. So we would pay it if it was over three dollars when we bought it. The question is, does it apply to packaging the jewelry in our suit? So even being archaic, there's a strong argument it didn't. Never mind the fact the whole industry did it that way. And I remember about a year or two later, I read an article about this company was suing Revenue Canada, and they know they actually just won a ten million dollar case for abuse of power. Yeah. And when I read the case and what happened. It was unbelievably similar case, similar situations that I felt. So that so we looked into actually suing Revenue Canada for it, and it's part of the Edit and Access Information Act. Yes. So I think we got fourteen hundred pages of information, all the the emails that was going around the Scarborough office, where things were copied to fourteen, fifteen people. It was ridiculous. It was clearly vendetta, and up until. Even to the point to remember, they have something like a year to give you the information, but you have to. You have to if you want if you want to complain and ask more it has to be within a certain amount of time of the request, and they end up doing like the day before. Yes, where it was incredibly hard to get more information, but as we went through and did that two or three times, because they because so many things were not there. Still, 140 pages were blacked out that we not, did not know what they said. Yeah, you were saying. My my curiosity is such, I wonder how you feel today. Sorry, so, uh, one, just one more point yeah. I just want to say about this case. The uh, When the conservatives came into power, I'm not quite forget the year now, a few years later, in their bu first budget, they got rid of the excise tax. I think you said 2005, I think yeah. it was. So, yeah, so clearly it was recognized by you know the next government. That must have hurt you terribly. I think I was dead into it by then. And how are you today? It's interesting. Um, I wouldn't without the shit that I had to deal with. I wouldn't be who I who I am now. There were things that were very important to me then, that are not important to me uh, to me now. So, it was really. A big part of my, of my change, my transformation. And what what's the most significant way that you changed because of that situation? I no longer connect my success or my happiness to how much money I make, to how large a company I can build. You know, these are all great things that I still admire, but. I'm not attached to it anymore. So I think it, it helped me develop more as a person. And to prioritize differently. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So Robert, if people want to get your course for free and they're listening to this show, they can actually do so until the end of September. What's the process they need to go through in order to get that course? Great. And just to clarify, they just need to get the course by the end of September. They can take as long as they like and they can keep it there. For no time. Excellent. Head to my web website, robertpalpal.com. Go to the online course selection and register. And then when you're in the payment page, 
It's going to ask if you have a coupon and just enter the magic code 90219. And then click enroll and you're ready to go. 90219. Okay, excellent. What one of the things um, that I like to do on the show is to talk about um, situations that I've been in and how I've come through them. And I call it, this is me, um, is this you? Okay. So as an example, um, I asked one of my guests, uh, very often when I'm feeling angry or upset, I'll shut down. That's me. Who are you? So if someone riles you, gets you very angry, what's your response? Okay. My typical response, I'm not a yeller. I, I, I would, my typical response, especially in the past, is I would go into what I consider lawyer mode. Yeah. Okay. How does that work? I would, I will, using, in my mind, pure logic, convince you how you are wrong yeah. and I am right. Okay. Okay. Which doesn't go over well <laughs> in, in relationships. And not with children. Uh, no. No, not with anybody. So now I understand what happens. It's we're triggered, and we especially get triggered by people we're close to. And I'd like to the metaphor for being triggered to me is an iceberg. There's a top part you see, and everything underneath you don't. So a good example is we talked about uh, I had undiagnosed uh, learning disability when I was a child, spelling is where it manifested the most. Yeah. And even now I'm challenged with my spelling. So I was constantly told as a child how stupid I was, I couldn't spell, I'm not trying, because there'd be, as typical with many people with ADHD, there'd be areas where I could excel in, but other areas where obviously, quote unquote, I wasn't trying. So I was very sensitive about uh, spelling comments. So, and on the other hand, just loves words. And if I would make a spelling mistake, you know, shit pointed out. Yes. You know, maybe it'd be humorous to her. She won't understand it. And, you know, immediately go on lawyer mode, go, did you read what I said? Yeah. Like, it's brilliant. <laughs> and you're getting caught up on one word? Yeah. Uh, so then now, with, you know, what I've learned from mindfulness, the question is, what am I, what's, what's at the top of the iceberg and the bottom? At the top is a curiosity and why I spelled that, or maybe wanted me to help, not looking like an idiot, sending something out uh, misspelled. That's the top. The bottom is all those teachers. Right. Right. Very good. Everybody making fun of me. So by stepping back and realizing that, I can respond totally different. And, and when when you went through this whole thing with the audit, was your response different at the time? Oh yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, in many ways, I was in a four-year stage. Uh, point of being triggered yeah for me uh it's the things i teach it's uh ego all right like i am right <laughs> uh they cannot do this to me yes okay uh judgment that because i'm right it can't go against me uh and not list and we have many distortions in our thinking style so one of them is, we it's a bias on the information we take in. Right. So everyone that told me that, go get them. You're right. You can't lose. Many times the lawyers. 
is what I would listen to. The other voices that didn't feel that way or the more wiser voices that said, yeah, you're right. Your life's going to be hell and you cannot win against the government. I didn't listen to that. And that's one of the big uh, issues is I only took it and uh, listened to what would prove my point. And had you listened, would you have been more prepared to lose? So acceptance has to do with accepting the moment and very much what you're feeling because your you know, emotions are interesting. You know, emotions have a bad rap. To me, uh, they're incredibly important. It's our compass. It's how we get direction in life. It tells us what to do. So I believed what I felt was just anger. And I responded to that anger in everything I did. I had to win. But if I was really connected with what was going on, there was fear. How could they do that? What's my future? I got my kids, my family. And also when they bring up the word jail, that's really, really freaky. Yeah. Yeah. If I would have been able to connect better with what I was feeling, because anger is a lot of times is not the core emotion. It's a cover emotion. Yes. Right. It's a lot easier to feel anger than it is uh, fear. And there's even an element of shame, not justified, but shame that I'm in, I'm in this position. So I think if I would have been able to get beyond the anger and see what I was feeling, I would have made different decisions. Uh, potentially I wouldn't have fought for four years. I know lawyers were, you know, guy I went initially said, restructure now when your strength, right? Uh, but I couldn't see doing that because I felt it to be a uh, defeat. I might've viewed that differently. And the other key part of learning is I went right back into it. Yeah. I switched the business where I got everything made in the US. Sorry, I got everything made packaged in the Orient and I sold predominantly to, to the US. And in hindsight, if I would have really slowed down and checked in with myself, that's not what was right for me at that stage. Yeah, and eventually you had a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, my bo the body speaks. It does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I've, yeah. I've had two heart attacks. Have you really? Yeah, one in 2007, one in 2014. Oh. So you have cardiovascular disease as well. Uh, I don't like to think that anymore. No? Good. No, I think I'm okay. Yeah, they say after the... You get, First two, three years after is the big issue. Yeah, I have a little bit of a problem with doctors who say you're constantly going to have a heart uh, condition. Um, I think the only condition I have in my heart is maybe I love too much. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, can use, we can use more of that. Yeah, we can. So that's that's the next thing in this game that I have. This is me. Who are you? Or something like that. Um, is uh, I'm in a a regular state of awe about my existence and about the world around me. Like I am just regularly, regularly looking at colors of the trees and the forests and pointing this out to my son and seeing all the many greens. See if I can interrupt you. Yes, please. Exactly. That's your activity. Uh, oh, good, good. Yeah, so share, the, the, share them. Give them that appreciation. It's invaluable. Right. So the question I had before for Robert, for you, was uh, I'm not a very planful person in terms of going out with my son and finding stuff to do. So what you're saying is go out and point the world out to him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, well, beauty, the beauty in it. He's going to see enough of the shit 
online. That's exactly what I see, yeah. too. People told me that I should teach him about the Holocaust early on in his life. I said, no, 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 no. He's a boy. Let him play. That's what he's supposed to do. He'll learn enough of the shit later on because it, it comes to you and you can't avoid it. Like, you were picked on as a kid for being overweight and being Jewish, right? Mm -hmm. Where was that? Here in Toronto? Yep. Uh, Finch, Public <clears throat> Finch Public School, Baby and Finch. Do you remember the guys who picked on you? It was such a large, uh, it was a large group. I was the only, pretty much the only Jew in the school. Well, like, what would they do? How would they pick on you? They'd be the name calling. Uh, you know, occasionally there'd be pylons where they're all on top of you. And it was that bad, hey? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. What did you take away from that? It was confusing. Because uh, I had him one time from, yeah, I said how close I was with my sister and how wonderful I am. And I had from the peer group on what a loser I was. So it was, it was tough uh, to really bounce them all because then I couldn't share. I didn't feel I could share with everybody what was going on in school because they have this wonderful impression of me. Yes. So it was, uh, it's just damaging. Yeah, without question. How did you get I, past it? Well, first it was interesting. What it actually, one became actually a motivating part for me. Uh, they motivated me in starting business is what I call the fuck you all. <laughs> I like it already. Yeah. <laughs> they can picture me like they're in the old Roman time, yeah. the stadium. And along the walls, there'd be nails. And on each of those nails, I would hang someone from my past. You know, the teacher that called me stupid. The one, the French teacher that called me a drowned rat because I came out of gym. The teachers called you this? Yeah. Uh, the kids, all right, they're picking on me. Some of the people, the banks initially wouldn't, you know, uh, they wouldn't believe in me. So I put them all up, and the idea is just watch me do it. Fuck you, watch me, watch me make it happen. So for many years, that was my motivation. Did it help? Yeah, it's not necessarily the healthiest. Uh, that were a lot. It became very ego based and everything, but yeah, I made a you know success out of myself in that in that world. In yeah, that good, realm. good for you. Yeah. We're on the other side of the desk, but I'm extending a great big hug to you right mm -hmm. now. Thank you. I feel it. With a message, what message would you give to kids who are right now recipients of racism, anti-Semitism? First is, it's them. It's not you. And the second is, it's okay to feel sad. And... Try to find someone, if there's someone you can talk to, or find something you feel good about doing. Whatever it's a certain subject you want to study, whatever it's a sports, something that you can feel good about yourself. Did you find that? I eventually found it uh, in business, but it took, it took a lot of years. Did you have friends as a kid? Uh, not a lot in the public school. What ended up happening before, at the end of uh, junior high, and there's actually a couple friends that, because uh, in junior high, different school, there's a few people that I became close with that I'm still very, uh, very close with now. My best friend, you know, of almost 40 years. What's his name? Aubrey. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also Jay and Bobby. I got both of them in there too. Yeah, good. In those times. Good. But uh Neither of them end up going to my, my high school. So what happened at the end of junior high is I knew enough that I, I didn't believe that I was this loser 
that everybody had me painted on, uh, uh, painted as. So I decided I wanted to go to a brand new school where nobody knew me. And I went out of the area, when it was A.Y. Jackson, it was Leslie and Francine. Yes. And it was a new world. You know, it was, uh, it was, a, great, it was a great experience. I became one of the one, not important, one of the more popular kids at school. And I created, there was a new world. And that's when I discovered business part too, when I started doing that. Did you carry this loser thing with you on any level throughout your life? Oh yeah, it's 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 still it's, it still it's, has an effect now. Yeah, it kind of things. embeds itself, doesn't it? Yeah, and certain things that might trigger uh, and high sensitivity to. I'm so fucking angry with those kids. Should mm. I be? Should I be? Is there a point in it? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm like angry today when I hear about bullying. And I think to myself, what are you doing, kids? And what about the parents? What are you doing, parents? How do you allow this to happen? Well, from what I hear and what I see, it seems the there's a more there's a greater understanding of the damage, and the school systems are apparently getting better. But the one relief I had, rather than anger, is you know if I ever if it comes up, I look back at any of those people. Not that impressive what they've done with their life. So, so in the end, it's kind of them who are getting so. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, people, and that, that, that's sad too. Yeah. It's sad too because yeah. they could have done much better, yeah. right? People bully for different reasons. You know, many have their, many their own challenges. Okay. Last question. I never feel quite right in my own clothes. Okay. So I'm a man who's about 247 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, my maximum weight was 258 and I've lost... 11 pounds in the last six weeks Mm -hmm. and for years and years and years i've been struggling with my weight and i could never bring it down i think part of it has to do with the heart meds that i've been taking and some of it has to do with my anxiety level it's hard to lose weight when you have a lot of anxiety often not always but often and um so i have probably about 40 shirts dress shirts that i keep that i can't fit into none of them and they're really, really nice. A friend of mine who's in fashion gave them to me, mm. Paul. So I keep them, and I actually have two up here in the fr- in the in the kitchen that I look at whenever I'm making food. They're beautiful linen. I love linen. You like linen? Mm-hmm. Oh, linen's beautiful, isn't it? Um, and I look at it and I go, I'm gonna fit into those, right? I think this is linen. Is that linen? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, you look sharp. Yeah. So uh, I, uh, I I've always felt bad for so many years about not fitting in my clothes well. And the other thing I do too is I stain a lot of my clothes. Uh, I, I was called disheveled mm-hmm. by Mr. Glenn when I was in grade three. Okay. And he was right. I, I am disheveled. I started a group called Dishevelism. Dishevel is an ominous. You're not disheveled. You're I, very, I can definitely cam. I'm not neat at all. You look very well coiffed. It's very simple here. It's your place. Uh, my tendency is, is is more unorganized. It takes an effort to be... Okay. I know it does take an effort, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. So my question is, really, is very simple. I don't fit into my own clothes. How about you? And it's a metaphoric question, you know? Well, first, I wonder, uh, how many shirts are there? Probably about 40. And how do you feel when you look at them? I feel both I'm really happy that I have them because they're very beautiful and they're quality shirts. You know, they're like $200 shirts. Yeah. Um, but I also feel very frustrated. Would you feel better if someone else could enjoy them now? Now you're just wondering, looking at them all the time, that must not feel good. So I have to tell you something, Robert. I probably had 50 or 60, if not 70, and I gave away a ton of them. Okay, so it's happening. Yeah. Okay, so possibly, is it motivating? Well, it is now. 
Yeah. The difference, uh, you know, a uh, number of years ago, somebody recommended, actually a therapist I saw, he was a hypnotist, recommended I buy a book. Uh, he goes, it'd change your life. It was called Spark. So, of course, I went and bought the book. I didn't read it <laughs> okay. right. until uh, actually about a year ago. And what it has to do is it's about the science of exercise, predominantly cardio. And the effects we think, we believe it has on weight loss in our body is minor compared to the effect we can have on the brain. Yes. Uh, specifically for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. And it's made uh, a huge life. So I started then going out and also helped uh, a mentor I had from a few years uh, has helped encourage me. So I do a combination of walking and running uh, most days. And it's incredibly positive. So the effect, it has reduced the anxiety and uh, improved my mood. And as well, I used to be 220 pounds. So as an added bonus, it definitely helps on the weight loss. How much do you weigh now? Now I'm 160. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. So you can look into that. Just not, it's not about weight loss. It's something if, you can get other benefits, and it's almost a side benefit of the weight loss. Do you feel like the same person now that you're 60 pounds less? What did you lose, or what did you gain? It's taken me a while to realize that I'm no longer fat. Like in I your still head, feel it. Yeah. I still always felt it. In your but, head, do you see yourself as 220 or 160? Up until maybe about six months ago, I'd see myself in still in 220. Okay, yeah. Uh, so it takes time. Uh, you have the image. But there's also a level of acceptance to where, where we are now. So but you use as a metaphor, I'm not comfortable in my own clothes. How does that translate in reality for you? Uh, yeah, often uh, I'm embarrassed. And I've been most of my life, I've been embarrassed on some level. I, never, I saw myself as a bit of a schlepper. Hmm. A bit of a schlepper. And I try to, I love elegant people. And I love elegant people because I want to be more elegant. And I've been working on it. I've been working, yeah. I've like been working really hard on it. Yeah. Yeah, because I love elegance. Like, you strike me as someone who's elegant. Really? You do. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And um, you know elegant people, they not only hold themselves elegantly, but they talk elegantly, you know? And I wish I was a little bit less brash. I'm kind of coarse. You know, I'm a little bit coarse. Really? Yeah, I am. I guess you don't show that on... No, the best side of me comes out on reading. <laughs> Stick around afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no. Listen, I want you to know something. I've embraced myself more so in the last number of years than ever. And if you ask me, Alfred, do you like yourself more than you don't? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm really proud of myself because I've done some good things in life, you know? Yeah. And I have a beautiful boy. I'm a good father. It's just this sort of schlepper thing, the disheveled thing that I've carried around with me for so many years. It's like we were talking about how that bullying thing embedded itself in your brain. That embedded itself. One thing also I got, and we talked about the transition to now, this next decade, 60 plus. Like I'm still going to grow, right? But this is me. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be any, anything else. Take it or leave it. Yeah. If it doesn't work for you. That's okay. I mean, Anne must help a lot with that because she loves you. She's loved you for 10 years. She's sticking around. Yeah. And just incredibly, Anne is her nature. She's very mindful, much, much slower uh, than I would be. So it's had a major effect in helping slow me down as well, which has been uh, essential. You're lucky, man. But yeah, and I think on the overall, the confidence part of it, 
it's been it's been helpful but it really we can't look outside for it yeah it's got to believe but that smile you have now yeah right? i see it on you yeah that's who you are yeah no question yeah. yeah 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 no i i can't tell you how many blessings i have robert pal yeah cool <laughs> i have so many blessings I, I could fill up a whole treasure chest yeah a whole box with them honestly so it's realizing that all of that that's what's important. You it is. Stay, the stain you might have there. Yeah, I'm a little please. stained too. Yeah, but <laughs> please. Okay, let's talk about what's important. Lose the stain. I no, like what no, you're saying. Yeah. No, no, I hear what you're saying. I like what you're saying about the 60 to 70 thing. I really like that a lot. Like, this is who I am. Accept me for who I am. That's a very good thing. I think the message with me is, Avram, you accept who you are. Because at the end of the day, if other people don't accept you, what's the big deal? Like, they don't have to, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could say their loss, which is not not relevant. Yeah. But the other thing that's it's helpful for here, and I mentioned a few times in that process, is mindfulness. So, your listeners get a free course. You can have. I brought a book for you. Uh, that's so nice. Called, Thank you. Mindful intelligence. That's great. Did you bring any food too? I'm starving. <laughs> There's some blueberries and nuts here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for this. You're welcome. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, that's the actual the program, uh, ten week program that I work with clients. Yeah, that's on. great. I got. I have a book for you. I'm going to send a book with you as well. Oh, cool. So we're going to wrap up the show, and how I like to wrap up the show is by sort of doing a short synopsis on what we can take out of it. And you're welcome to jump in anytime. One of the things that I feel our listeners can take out of this show is uh, is to have heard from a human being yourself. Um, who has grown so much in life from being piled on by bullies in school, anti-Semitic uh, young people, unfortunately, um, to working that through in life, ultimately starting a wonderful company. Unfortunately, things didn't work out. But going with that as well, and then moving on to another iteration of your life where you became a mindfulness coach for people of ADHD, which is a huge challenge in our world. So it's that level of growth which you've achieved, which I think is highly admirable. And the first thing I do is I wish you Yishikoach. You know what Yishikoach is? No. You see, Sounds you're, nice. You're not, a, you're not a strong Jew. Maybe I should go on the high hole of this. <laughs> you should, maybe you should. It basically means Yashar Kochacha, like a straight journey. It means way to go. Mm, yeah, you. so way to go. That's one thing I would take out of this interview. What would you take out of it? Or what would you suggest people should? That there is nothing that has happened in your past that could stop you from creating a better future yeah, very from this good. point on. Very good. Have you seen a lot of that? People have gone through such crap in life, but yet they've built into something special. The resilience of people is something that constantly You're amazed. blown away yeah. by that, huh? I'm blown away and motivated by it. Yeah. Right? And that's why when clients come to me, I see it. Yeah. And, yeah. Have you seen uh, CEOs, I'm going to throw this out, you can morph it any way you want, CEOs who come from, let's say, abusive families, or, or the father was never around, maybe the mother was never around, maybe they went through the foster care system, but they ultimately turned that around and became very highly successful individuals. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them kind of came from difficult childhoods. Yeah. So coming from a difficult childhood, maybe people can take this out of the interview as well. It doesn't mean you're lost. It doesn't mean you're done with. No, absolutely. It's there's to survive that is an incredible strength. Yes, it is. And that strength is what can propel you forward in the future. So Robert Powell, if people want to get your course, um, they can go to your website and that's robertpal.com. <laughs> This is the funniest part of the show. Both of us forget the code. I have it here. Okay, yeah, good. Yeshakoach. The, the secret code, 90219. 
So you 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 click on the code. You click on the uh, go. Yes, select the online course uh, option at the top, and just register, and then rather than payment, put in the code. Okay. I want to thank you very much for being uh, it was, my guest today. You told me it'd be an enjoyable experience, and it has, and it's gone by incredibly fast. Yeah, thank and you. it's an hour, and uh, where are we at? An hour and forty-five minutes. Well, great. I, I really enjoyed my time with you. I really did. You're you're a really special human being. I like you a lot. Thank you. I yeah, you're that. welcome. You've yeah. done really well too. Thank you. I, I feel like at the at the top of the show, I said, listen, consider this show a gift to you. And at the end of it, you know what I always think? I always think this is a gift to me. Hmm. It's a gift to me because I got I got to know you. And, and we're, you know, we covered a lot of ground here. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I could be your archivist yes. at this point. Right? <laughs> and and uh, more. <laughs> and I learned a lot, too. Like uh, you're, you're very thoughtful. I like um, I like the pregnant moments that you create where I ask you a question. You'll close your eyes and you'll go off somewhere and then you'll come back and you'll state what what your response is. I really I really appreciate those moments. Mm. You, you ever heard the saying that the music is between the notes? I actually have a new client who's a cantor. Yeah. And he talks about that that, that between Yeah, between that, the notes. Yeah, that's exactly. how that's yeah. what I see in you. How so? Because you're quiet more than you're not. And yet I take so much out of that quietness. Like to you, you yeah. should see yourself when you close your eyes and you, and you have no qualms. Like I'll ask you a question and you have no qualms about taking five or ten or fifteen or twenty seconds before you come back with an answer, which might be monosyllabic sometimes. Do you want to know the secret on that? Yeah, please. Because initially, when working with clients, when you ask the question, I'm very, it's very to give them the answer, okay? Just, <laughs> yeah. Or if I don't get the, which doesn't help, or if I don't get the answer, to switch it, right? Uh, so what I do is for my first year, I had in big letters on my pad, I wrote W-A-I-T, yes. right? Yes. What it stands for is why am I talking? Oh. So every time I was tempted to open my mouth, I'd look at that and I'd, really see that's fabulous that, so that now has become just a natural way of being that's excellent yeah yeah good for you, thank you. anyways thank you once again thank I, you i want to i want to thank uh my listeners as well our listeners as i said um mm. for joining us um there's lots of great stuff coming down the road and if you want to hear more of hat radio go to hatradio.ca to hear the last 34 episodes so it's been good I really enjoyed this. You've been listening to Hat Radio. It's the show that schmoozes. Do you like that? Show that schmoozes. That's great. Yeah, Very descriptive. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. You've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig. Sponsored by Goodness and Positivity. Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes. Step inside my living room. Share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned. Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the hat In the hat Put it all in the hat